Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And we have two one-shots for you that make a really nice arc. Yeah, uh, we are doing them slightly out of order. So we've got Season 3, Episode 7, and Season 3, Episode 4 in that order. Assassin, off with Assassin and Sphere of Influence. Mm-hmm. And they are both Ahsoka Tano episodes. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so we start in Assassin with young Ahsoka Tano having grown strong in the Force. She's mm-hmm. returning to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant to rave reviews from yeah. the Jedi Masters. They're like, you did great. We are all surprised. You did great, kid. Take a nap. Yeah, because Anakin is going to bailith to intervene in a civil war or unintervene a civil war. Do Anakin things. Yeah, and Ahsoka has to do homework back at the On the Jedi Temple. Yeah, like, by the way, you're still 15, so. She is deeply excited about that. Mm-hmm. Also, she's having a lot of nightmares about Aura Singh, who she ostensibly murdered. Well, Self-defense to death. Yeah. Involuntary manslaughter. Pretty pretty sure it was the crash that killed her. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. So, yeah, Ahsoka is supposed to be working on Jedi homework, but instead she's having nightmares. Yoda says they are premonitions or visions. Mm -hmm. So Ahsoka is convinced that Aura is still alive and she's going to kill someone that she loves as retribution. Yeah. She keeps seeing these flashes with... Or like crawling through ducts and carrying a sniper rifle. And then she sees the target. Yeah. So she's like in the library grumbling. Her eyelids flicker. Her visions keep getting clearer and clearer. And she gets another one. It's Aura preparing to kill Padme. Mm-hmm. So Ahsoka goes and tells Padme because they're both on Coruscant. But it's too late. She's already headed to Alderaan in the morning to hold a conference. Mm -hmm. So every time Ahsoka tries to sit down and meditate and clear her mind, she's seeing more and more clearly how Aura is going to do it. Yeah. She goes to Master Yoda and he says, well, you're 15 now, so you have to figure out what to do about this. Yeah, I guess, you know, the the Jedi premonition is a tricky thing. Premonition is always a tricky thing in lore where it occurs because you can't. I mean, there's a lot to talk about there as far as the Cassandra effect, you know, so Mm. going through and trying to follow through with it is is up to Ahsoka. Okay, we will get to that. Mm. Basically, what happens is that Ahsoka goes with Padme to the conference to be the muscle. Mm -hmm. She keeps having visions. She knows what Padme is going to be wearing. She's almost seeing where the shot will come from. She's almost seeing where Aura will put herself. But she's getting confused because her visions are telling her one thing and everyone else around her and reality itself is telling her another thing. Yeah. So she's struggling to trust herself. They get to the conference. Padme's up on stage. Aura is climbing through the air vents. Mm -hmm. Ahsoka sees her right as the muzzle of her sniper rifle pokes out of the vent. Mm -hmm. Aura lines up the shot and Ahsoka sprints around the corner, force pulls the sniper a hair to the right. The shot misses Padme's face, gets her in the shoulder. Yeah. Padme's convalescing. She's determined to speak again the next night. So... What they do is they put a creepy Barbie med droid in a big it's Luminara a se- cloak. It's a sex bot. They're all sex bots. They're the femme version of C-3PO. So I looked it up. They're called days. the Betty droids. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate it so much. So the Betty droid has like the same hairstyle as Padme. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, duct taped on. Duct taped on in a big cloak. Padme's speaking through a walkie talkie from her room saying like, even if someone killed me, like you would never quench this movement. Aura hunts her down. Yes. So- aims her gun mm-hmm. and Ahsoka bursts in the door blocks the bullet with her lightsaber and stands over Padme, protecting her with her body. It's a very cool fight scene because Aura has got quick-firing twin blaster pistols, and it is real close range. Oh, yeah. Ahsoka's eyes get real wide. Mm -hmm. She's like, holy shnikes, this is going to be like the lightsaber-blocking tactics of my life. (laughs) And then uh, Aura gets a shot through. She does. And wings Ahsoka. So Ahsoka's holding off the flurry of bullets. One gets her in the arm. She staggers. And then Padme hits Aura right in the chest with a stun ray. Mm -hmm. It's like straight out of Satine's book. It is pretty cool. Yeah. 
They figure out that Aura has been hired by someone else. She's not really acting on her own impulses. They all get back to Coruscant. Yoda has this look when they land of like, my baby did so good. Mm-hmm. It is great. Uh, meanwhile, both the women in Anakin's life have been shot. He's there. Yeah. Not yeah. thrilled. <laughs> not thrilled. And Yoda asks Ahsoka to keep looking through her visions and try to figure out who actually did hire Aura. She's like, I don't know, there's some purple, there's this really obnoxious laugh, and Padme's like, oh, I know who that is. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, it's Zero the Hutt. I do declare. (laughs) So, yeah, that leads us straight into Sphere of Influence, the next episode. Well, so they they do the... Everyone already talked, and Zero's like, no, they didn't. No one would ever talk who I hired. And they're like, oh, so you did hire Aura. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I did. So yeah. he confesses. Like, yeah. Oh. Ahsoka and Anakin do go to his, you know, transparent cell on yeah, Coruscant. It's, uh, it's real dystopia in the way they treat prisoners mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not even a bathroom. It's just a hover block with a force field wall over a bottomless pit. Yeah. Anakin lets Ahsoka do all the talking. She's like, I, well, I already talked to all your co-conspirators and they told me everything. And Mm -hmm. Zira's like, oh, I should have hired someone better than Aura Singh then. And Ahsoka's like, ka-chow. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Sphere of Influence is the next one. And we're still on Coruscant and we're still dealing with like a lot of the machinations of what needs to happen here so and it's a senator Chuji episode it is a child stolen is a hope lost so we get to meet mm. the new chairman of pantora who is baron papanoida mm-hmm. who is much better than the previous chairman because mm-hmm. he's not tall and hawkish he wears a very cool hat and he has two daughters named chi and che who <laughs> And a son named Ion. Yes. I guess he got tired of alliteration. And uh, they also all have cool hats. So yes, they do. Welcome to Cool Hat Tuesday. Extremely cool costuming this episode. Jay has a particularly cool hat. Mm-hmm. But um, so Pantora is blockaded by the Trade Federation for failing to pay bills. The Trade Federation is like, yeah, it's terrible. The separatists are trying to get Pantora to join, um, which would relieve the blockade. Very similar to what happened to Naboo in The Phantom Menace. And Padme mentions that. And Anakin's like, it's not all bad. That's how we met. And Padme's like, you're you're lucky you're pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Pretty much exactly. So Chi and Che, the two daughters, are going back to their quarters. And the lights go off and they are abducted. And one of them clobbers a Rodian across the brain case with a moon goddess yes, icon which the abductors put back i would say that was iconic <laughs> jeez louise <laughs> don't quit your day job so, <laughs> um the inspector tan devo who we'll, we will see a little bit of later is like there's no evidence of foul play But uh, they go in and find that the moon goddess is out of place and covered in blood. And that blood belongs to renowned bounty hunter Greedo. Greedo. So Baron Papanoida goes to, and his son Ion, go to Tatooine to track down Greedo, which is real sketchy. There is a baby hotlet cameo. Mm -hmm. There's an Embo cameo. Oh, yeah. We get to see Embo. They're trying to draw Greedo to them. Yes. Meanwhile... Chuchi and Ahsoka are like junior action senator team. So fun. So they go to Pantora and they figure that the ambassador's ship, the Trade Federation ambassador's ship, will have some information. So they go there. Yeah. So Ahsoka's like, hey, Chuchi and I are friends now, and mm-hmm. I'm really concerned about her. And Anakin is like, okay, the Jedi can't technically get involved. Ahsoka, you're not really a Jedi. You go look for them. Padme's like, I literally can't believe they let you have a Padawan. I cannot believe this. You're <laughs> lucky you're pretty. Yeah, ah- Ahsoka's like, so aren't you going to help? He's like, I'm going to help by covering for you. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, you know, Why? doing the most. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, so they fly to the Trade Federation ship under false pretenses. They bait the Trade Federation with a false oh, offer to join the separatists. No, she's like, she's very economical with the truth. She's like, so <laughs> if I were to say 
such you know that we were going to join the separatists then what would happen i don't know this sounds like perfidy again to me it's it's not perfidy it's they're economical with the truth okay well they do sneak into a conference Mm -hmm. room and discover that yeah the trade federation is actually behind the kidnapping and so there's two uh at play here one is a separatist and one who's the trade federation ambassador there's an envoy and sib kane yes Sipkane drastically underestimates Ahsoka because he's like, I will send six B2 battle droids against you. And Ahsoka's like, I got Whatever. this. Meanwhile, back on Tatooine, uh, Greedo tries to take the Baron hostage. The Baron... Uno reverse card. Yeah, he, Papanoida gets a knife up against his neck. He's like, we're going to go talk to your boss. Yeah. And then he goes to Jabba and he's like, as the owner of a proud recent baby hutlet, I am also a father. We are friends. Greedo's <laughs> a D-bag and I'm going to throw him entirely efficiently, perfectly under the bus. Incredible. Very incredible. And this is like, yeah. There's so, a big saloon shoot up in oh Mos Eisley gosh. when Papanoida and Ion are trying to get... Che Amanwe. Who's the other daughter. So the daughters have been split up. One of them's uh, over Pantora. The other one's in Mos Eisley. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Pantorans Very reunite. handy with the blasters. Oh my God. Yeah, because the Baron shows up. He's like, well, I've already used my knife. So I'm going to dual wield some blasters out of the situation. Incredibly effective. Yeah. I think Che Amanwe actually ends up getting the final shot. So she does. big happy family reunion. Back on the Trade Federation ship, Ahsoka and Chuchi find the other daughter, Chiekwe. Yeah, and they get her free, and that's when Sibkane does his move with the battle droids, and they kill the battle droids, and then the ambassador, the envoy, is like, hold up, what's going on? And Chuchi politically maneuvers the whole situation. Strong arms them. And he's like, this is blackmail. And she's like, no, it's just business. And Sibkane is like, I would need to talk to my litigator. So Chuchi girl bossed exactly the close amount to the side that she, she needed. Did. She was phenomenal. And as denouement, Lot Dodd, the Nimodian with the biggest hat, which means he's in charge, is like, I can't believe that the Trade Federation would was, do such a thing. Has been infiltrated by the separatists again. In the Very spirit of news. good faith, we will remove the blockade. We will open trade. Victory for Chuchi. Victory for Pantora. Victory for everybody. Yeah. Incredible. So that is these two episodes. A lot of trying to make peace and a lot of Ahsoka. So And a lot of Chuchi being a total bamf. She's great. Incredible. Yeah. First things first, mm-hmm. my most important note, we get to see Senator Chuchi's hair, and she has two adorable pink pigtails. How did we not know this before? I think they're new. I think the balaclavas on Orto Plutonia did us so dirty because we didn't get to see Chuchi's incredible hair. I do admire that the Pantorans like wear the same clothes no matter where they are. They just do not care about cold or hot. They just they go yes, to Chuchi's wearing like a mini skirt and knee high boots. She looks phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's Che Amanwe has this hat, which is like a combination hat cloak thing. I want to bring that into style. It is the coolest. It's a hood. It's a full body hood. So would you like a fun fact about Che Ekwe? Yes. Okay. So Che Ekwe was played by Katie Lucas. In episode three. Is that George Lucas's That is daughter? George Lucas's daughter. Cool. Baron Papanoida in the same scene was played by George Lucas himself. No way. Would you like an even cooler fun fact? Sure. Katie Lucas was the writer of Sphere of Influence. Oh, fun. Would you like a final cool fact? <laughs> yeah. Baron Papanoida's family was based on George Lucas's three kiddos. Oh, that's fun. Ion was his son, mm-hmm. and Che Ekwe and Chiamanwe were his two daughters. Aww. Aww. I love the name Baron Papanoida, too. It's I know, a it's great so name. much fun to say. Star Wars is such a family story. It really is. And I love the rhythm of this one because as Padme alludes to, she's like, man, this is the exact same thing that happened when I was a young queen. So she's trying Mm. to like, what can we do to help? And it's the junior adventures of the same. Yeah. This whole arc felt very much like a classic Star Wars rebuff. Like we had classic Star Wars locations. We had classic Star Wars themes. The Mm -hmm. whole thing was about family and friendship and like the echoes of your past. 
Yeah, especially because we never get to see Alderaan, really. Yeah, so the first thing I notice is that Alderaan is super beautiful. I it's know, it's space Rolling green hills. It's got big mountains. Big Swiss mountains. Yeah. I feel very much that this arc was an homage to some of our classic Star Wars locales, and especially an homage to Alderaan, because it's, you know, destroyed in the original trilogy. It is, yeah. And, you know, we get to see Bail Organa, who is a really good friend of Padme's, mm-hmm. because they're of the same, like, you know, political alignment. They're, they're co-workers. They're close co-workers. Yeah, they had a very supportive connection, especially an assassin. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that all of Padme's like protectors and bodyguards and bail and everyone's like listening to Ahsoka because they know what a force multiplier a Jedi is, especially when the Jedi is having visions. Yeah, even when Ahsoka's doing things like barging into Padme's bedroom because she's having these intrusive nightmares, mm-hmm. they're like, well, we're just going to let you keep doing what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You are the one with the superior insight. Yeah, yeah. And the they really tried to help her out as much as possible. They're like, okay, does it look like this room? Does it look like this room? Because they know that power. And I think that that's really supportive for mm-hmm. Ahsoka. And it shows like what a good Jedi-Senator relationship looks like. Yeah. As opposed to the little bit over-the-top one between Padme and Anakin. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that I noticed is as we're dealing with these visions of the future. I think we were very much haunted by the ghosts of Star Wars past in this arc. So in Assassin, when Padme's ship lands on Alderaan, did you notice that Leia's theme is playing in the background? I did, yes. It was super beautiful, sweeping strings. And very much this is an episode about Padme speaking about how she was in the past to help Ahsoka move into like her next iteration of herself. So Ooh. Ahsoka and Padme, as they're playing Dejaric on Padme's ship, yeah. another cool Star Wars reference, Padme is like, I, I know what you're going through in this moment. Like when I was a young queen. Back when I was a queen. <laughs> back when I was a queen at age 13, I also had trouble trusting myself. And that was the key lesson that I had to learn. Like no matter what was going on around me, no matter what people were telling me, I had to have faith in myself. Mm-hmm. And Ahsoka's like, that sounds incredible. I would love to have that. Yeah. And then we see Ahsoka stepping into that reality in Assassin. Mm-hmm. She trusts herself above everything. She tunes into the force. She trusts her instincts. And she holds off Aura not once but twice. Yeah, yeah. Aura Singh is a real scary lady. And I think that that might be something which is a little bit understated is that Everyone's pretty sure Aura Singh is dead because, like, you know, you don't survive ship crashes that explode yeah. so well. But she says Hondo that... pulled her out of the wreckage, so ex-boyfriend to the rescue once again. Oh man, he's probably like, for a small fee, I will rescue you from this. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> for the small fee of you not terrorizing me. Yeah, for the small fee of never having to see you again. Yes, exactly. Jeez, poor Hondo. I always have a soft spot for Hondo. I don't know. I like him. So poor Hondo for having to deal with Aura Singh, especially when she's presumably mangled from a crash. Grouchy. What did you notice about this arc? Besides the cool hats? Mm. Um, I love the Pantorans, just their entire business. They like Baron Papanoida is doing cool like king senator things. And it's similar to what Queen Amidala did, mm. you know, when, when she was Queen Amidala, which is like, I show up, I have decoys, I have blasters, I have friends, and I solve problems. And I think that that's a really cool thing that now that I realize it was George Lucas doing this, because I was looking up who the voice of Ion was, and it's Seth Green. Oh. Yeah, who I loved as a Joker in Mass oh. Effect. But... I know, I was kind of hoping that George Lucas would come back and do the Baron <laughs> Papanoida voice again, but no. No, so Baron Papanoida as a action ruler. And the action ruler trope is one that 
I know George Lucas really likes because, you know, he started off with Princess Leia and moved on to Queen Amidala and then Baron Papanoida. Now, it's not like really something that happened so much. It's something that like much smaller countries did because normally your ruler is someone who you need to keep alive in order to keep lines of succession alive. They're basically kind of like the figurehead uh, monarchy in the UK. Oh, yeah. I mean, going back to before the UK was the UK and go back to like the 1300s with the Henrys or the Charleses or things like that. And it's very rarely a actual combat leader because that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the Black Prince, for example, of the Plantagenet dynasty caught malaria in France and was never the same. And then, of course, he Brain lived, fever. Yeah, he lived so long that he wasn't ever really able to assume the throne effectively, despite the fact that he would have been a, a good king because his father lived so long. So you don't often send your ruler to go visit crime lords and get into shootouts because that's dangerous. Yeah, and I want to talk about how effective Baron Papanoida was. So the obvious mm-hmm. parallel is going back to Trespass, which was in season one. Yeah. Chairman Cho was a deeply ineffective everything. He was a bad chairman. He was a bad diplomat. He was a bad war leader. He ended up dying for a cause that Pantora wouldn't even support him in. Yeah. Fast forward to Baron Papanoida, and we see him making risky but calculated decisions that end up exactly the way he wants them to. He has the patience to let the situation develop to his advantage. And And the skills to make it actually work out. Absolutely. And the way he threw Greedo under the bus is so effortless and so brutal. I was like, It was fantastic. So he takes his son, which I Mm -hmm. think is also a cool move, like for his son to see how he is dealing with a tough situation. And to learn like patience and stuff, because as they, so they go, they're like, hey, ladies, where's Greedo? And they're like, never heard of him. But if I see him, I'll let you know. And then like saunter off. And Ion's like, shouldn't we follow them? And the Baron's like, no. They'll lead Greedo to us. Yeah, first of all, I think it was cool to see a diplomat go to Jabba the Hutt's palace and recognize him as kind of a sovereign. So when they Mm -hmm. land on Tatooine, Papanoida looks at Ion, his son, and he's like, I need you to know that Jabba the Hutt is the only law on Tatooine. So he's setting the stakes already for his son. He's like... I may be the biggest gun on Pantora, Mm -hmm. but we are in some other sovereign territory right now. That's a cool lesson. And then they go to Jabba the Hutt's palace. There are dangerous individuals everywhere. Like Enbo is hanging out in the palace. Embo is a danger just by himself. Embo is a menace just by existing. (laughs) And Papanoida is like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it out there that we're looking for Greedo. We know he's a bounty hunter. Mm -hmm. Like, we know we're on his territory. This could get real spicy real fast. But Papanoida has the skills to back it up. You know, like, he can put his money where his mouth is. Yeah. So he ends up getting the knife to Greedo's throat, which is so cool. Like dragging him up to Jabba Mm -hmm. on the throne and saying, I have the blood of this kidnapper and I will stick a needle in your bounty hunter right now and prove that he's double crossing you. Well, what he said was either he's doing this with your permission, in which case you and I have a problem, or he did it without your permission, in which case you and him have a problem. I mean, that is big dick energy. Well, he puts Jabba in a fork then. Because Jabba's like, okay, even if I did order this, I don't want to like take responsibility. I'm someone. I'm a crime lord. You know, I yeah. throw people under the bus. So, so he's like, I'm going to throw Greedo un- under the bus. Would you like to help? And Jabba's like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Papanoida sets up a really easy route for Jabba to not have to get involved yep. at all and just be like, yeah, you can have my bounty hunter, whatever. Yep. This is a much smaller loss for me. It is so, so cool. It is. Yeah, I. That's the move. And I thought that was so good. The Pantorans were just very cool. In addition to, I think, you know, in this later season, the the art's better. Uh, Seeing them with all their different clothes and their different faces is very cool. Because we see a lot more faces as we've moved on. We've talked about this a little bit of how as this 
uh, series progresses, they spend more budget on faces and mm. seeing like all the different bounty hunters, all the different Pantorans is very cool. The Pantorans looked really beautiful. I think their skin texture was very interesting. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was still painterly. Like you could tell it wasn't supposed to be photorealistic, yeah. but they had the gorgeous yellow markings on their brow and their cheekbones and chins. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that as well, that they all have different paint on their faces Mm -hmm. and so in mass effect actually so that came out well roundabouts this time uh there's a species and they like put face paint on basically permanently for their clan markings Mm -hmm. i feel like that's what the pantorans are doing as well so we got really interesting insight into the pantorans first of all i'm always really interested in religion in star wars Mm -hmm. and we find out that not only do the pantorans worship at least one goddess of Mm -hmm. the moon that's the icon that che amanwe uses to hit greedo over the head but they have an entire pantheon yeah. of religious deities and they have shrines in their living quarters with all of these icons like one after another. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so cool to get an insight into at least some Pantorans practice religion. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting thing because imagine if you will, uh, you know, I think about this sometimes in D&D because I'll be playing and my other players will be like, you have to allow freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And when I'm playing a you know paladin, I'm like, we have to kill these demon worshipers because you can literally use religion to enact change mm-hmm. in the D&D universe. And mm-hmm. you can literally use the force to enact change in the Star Wars universe. So there, there's a religion of the force. And then other religions are, you know, you can't produce a Jedi or someone who is able to like shoot out lightning from their fingertips based off of the Pantoran moon goddess. Yeah. Also, the only time that I can remember religion being referenced so far is in The Phantom Menace when Qui-Gon is down in Gungan City. Yeah. And he tells the leader of the Gungans, this is your God's will for you to let us go. Mm. So the only time we've seen religion portrayed has been as like a stick. The other time that's really important is in episode four Mm. when one of the moths is talking to Darth Vader and it's like your hokey ancient religion doesn't mean anything and Vader just chokes him. Yeah, but that's we haven't the gotten there yet. Wars. This is true, but I think that shows something about religion in the Star Wars universe, which is that it's quaint mm-hmm. as compared to as formative as it should be. And then later on after the rise of the Empire – the force is thought of as a religion which reduces the power Mm -hmm. of the force in the mind of the populace. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it was cool to get a respectful treatment of religion, and it was cool to see it just like in an objective light. Yeah, and despite that it might be blasphemy to bop someone on the head with an icon of a goddess, I think- I think the moon goddess would probably be excited about that. (laughs) Give him a smack. Can we talk about Chuchi now? Yeah, of course. Okay, so first of all, I dig that the relationship between Baron Papanoida and Senator Chuchi is dramatically different than we mm-hmm. saw between Chairman Cho and Senator Chuchi and Trust Oh, us. yeah, man. I just cannot sing the praises of Baron Papanoida enough because he's like, yeah, well, I'm going to go do – because he doesn't ask for help. He recognizes that, like, this is his family and it's his thing – and he's, he leaves the politics. He's like, all this stuff between the separatists and the Republic, this is up to you, Senator. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we get in the propaganda reel that he has dispatched Chuchi to the Senate, the mm-hmm. Galactic Senate, to plead their case. And he lets her do it. Like, we don't ever see him interfering in her work. When Chuchi is speaking in the Senate at the very beginning of Sphere of Influence, she gets a standing ovation. Also, she goes after Lot Dodd. I mean, she is not taking any of his nonsense. Mm-hmm. She is like, it is absolutely ridiculous that you are keeping this blockade up and I'm not going to stand for it. And the whole freaking Senate is applauding her. Mm-hmm. Padme even comes and, and congratulates yeah. her on her speech. Yeah. So not only are we seeing Baron Papanoida give her a lot more respect than Chairman Cho ever did, but he's letting her be in her element 
And she is a very different Chuchi than we have ever seen before. Oh yeah, she's one of the action babes. She is an action babe. I mean, what Padme says to her in the beginning of Sphere of Influence is, you were very brave to confront the Trade Federation like that. And Chuchi says, the Trade Federation doesn't scare me. Yeah. Our little baby is all grown up and saving Pantora again. <laughs> How freaking cool is that? I love it. I did a lot of research into, I mean, well, what I did was I researched the World Bank of the IMF. Oh, okay. As well as the French intervention in Mexico. So that's something that's uh, relatively unknown. In the 1830s, 40s, or 50s, I'm not sure exactly, France invaded Mexico because Mexico hadn't paid its debts to France. And France was like, we're going to install Emperor Napoleon III or something like that into the Mexican throne. And so using debts as a pretext to war is something that's happened in the past. Mm. Nowadays, it's done through the World Bank and the IMF, which are, by dint of the Washington consensus, things where, like, we give you money and you have to do what we say. And if the Trade Federation acts like that, then going against them is rather revolutionary, but also populist, because the vast majority of the, you know, countries or, or planets in the Senate in Star Wars might be like, yeah, we owe the Federation Trade Federation a lot of money and they give us really bad trade terms, but we can't work with anyone else. Mm. We're not allowed to. So we're all in a bind to the Trade Federation. The fact that the Trade Federation is like one of the main elements of the separatists shows that they're a real force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and they have Pantora in a really effective bind yeah. because Dooku is obviously behind everything. So the implication at the beginning of the episode is that the people of Pantora are getting angry at the Galactic Senate as a whole mm -hmm. because as commerce is suspended, Dooku has rushed in to offer aid only if Pantora joins the Separatists. Mm -hmm. So they're in a real bind. They've got the people leveraged against them. They've got the Separatists and the Trade Federation leveraged against them. Yeah. And it's basically down to Hapanoida and Chuchi to figure this out. And they have to use carrot and stick, diplomacy and tactics. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a tough move for them. And they pull it off. It's it's really amazing. Now I want to also talk a little bit more about Assassin because yeah. of how important premonitions are. Ooh, okay. So we see premonitions that lead Anakin to the dark side later, and we see premonitions that lead Luke to Cloud City to confront Vader later. So the premonitions are such an important part of Star Wars. Now, I mentioned the Cassandra effect. That's the Trojan War, right? Where mm. Cassandra is the daughter of uh, King Priam of Troy. And she has this vision. She's like, Troy's going to fall. Everything's going to be terrible. We can't go to war. And if Paris steals Helen, then everything's going to go terrible. You need to give Helen back. And Paris is like, nah, I'm good. 20 years of war later, <laughs> uh, Odysseus, you know, sends the wooden horse through the uh -huh. gates of Troy. And they take over. And Cassandra dies. And how much of the prophecy and how much of premonition comes true is like, it's how much of you trying to like get out from a prophecy or like change the effect of it actually reinforces it. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is we see Ahsoka when she's having these premonitions go straight to Master Yoda. That is exactly what Anakin does in episode three. Mm -hmm. And they're having pretty much the same premonitions about the same person. Ooh. Ahsoka is having the same premonitions that Padme will die as Anakin is having in Revenge of the Sith. That is true. And what I love is also what scares me is that Yoda tells Ahsoka that she has to figure out what she's going to do about these premonitions by herself. Mm-hmm. And the implication is that in Assassin, I think the premonitions are handled really well. Ahsoka gets free reign to be the muscle and to protect Padme. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, when Anakin has to deal with these same premonitions in episode three, what he ends up doing is going over to the dark side because he didn't have anyone to support him through this really difficult experience. Well, he did. He had Palpatine. Yes. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. 
And I think the parallel here is that Ahsoka clearly cares really deeply about Padme. Mm -hmm. Every time they're interacting an assassin, they're hugging or they're like touching each other's shoulders or there's an emotional intimacy in the way that they're interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. But Ahsoka has a level of detachment from Padme in that Padme is not the love of her life. Yeah. And when Anakin is having visions that Padme is going to die, he cannot handle it. He is not equipped to deal with that. Yes, he does not have detachment. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ahsoka, although she skirts a little close to the sun in terms of attachment and detachment, has learned the lesson of detachment time and time again. For example, in when her and Barriss were in the super tanks and they are ready to die. Mm-hmm. Or when her and Barriss are in the uh, brainworm arc and they're yeah. ready to die. And Luminara is ready to give up her Padawan and she's mm-hmm. ready to give up her life yeah. in both of those episodes. But Ahsoka is like, I have done the mission and if it's my time, it's my time. And that's something that Anakin never accepts because we see time after time, for example, um, the first time we were on Vancor. And Count Dooku drops a bunch of rocks on Anakin. You see Anakin's fist burst out through the rocks. Oh, He's like, yeah. today is not God, the day. that's such a great shot. Mm-hmm. And so that is, you know, it's it's something which might have sexist undertones even, but Anakin does not go down without a fight. And Ahsoka knows when it's time to pause. Yeah, I think Anakin has never succeeded in beating that out of Ahsoka, only tempering it. Because even the first time we meet Ahsoka, it's in the Clone Wars movie. Yeah. Which is the first time we see Stinky, Jabba's hotlit son. And this son. is the second time, yeah. I don't know what happens to him. but <laughs> So many reverberations of the Clone Wars movie in this arc. Mm-hmm. But we see from the get-go that Ahsoka's willing to die for her cause. She is always doing the riskiest maneuvers. And while she never loses that, I think she gains perspective on why she's doing it. Yeah. And the most obvious examples are what you already mentioned. In Landing at Point Rain, in the Brainworms arc, Mm -hmm. we see Ahsoka willing to say, I did everything I could. And if victory takes my sacrifice, I'm willing to do that too. Yes. Whereas I don't think Anakin... Anakin goes in on suicide missions and he's like, I've done dozens of these. Yeah. And I'm going to make it through this one too. It means, it means nothing to me. Yeah. And it's that he is perhaps incapable of the fear of death or perhaps incapable of accepting it and the acceptance. And the reason I find this dynamic so interesting is Mm -hmm. that in sphere of influence, when Ahsoka's like, Hey, I would really like to go after Senator Chuchi and and Mm -hmm. help her with this. Anakin is like, yeah, sure. I mean, the Jedi Council wouldn't be cool with that, but that's totally fine. Like, go do it. And Padme says, is that wise, Anakin, to go against the Jedi Council? And Anakin and Ahsoka are like, yeah, we do it all the time. All the time. So even with Anakin's influence over Ahsoka, there are elements of her that are core to her identity that she has never let Anakin tamper with. They are just the way that she is. She is different than him, even though he has this extremely powerful effect on her by dint of being her Jedi Master. Yeah. And the things she's learned of being able to effortlessly face any combat situation. Like if it is a lightsaber lightsaber solvable problem, she's there. Like when uh, Sib Kane sends in the B2 battle droids, that's enough for like... In episode two, Mace Windu's like, that's too many B2s. I'm going to jump off this ledge and fight elsewhere. But Ahsoka's like, it's only six. <laughs> it's only six battle journeys. I'm a 15-year-old Padawan. This and is totally... And then there's a very cool scene where she just like jumps in the middle of all of them and gun katas oh, her way out of there. it's over like, in three and a half seconds. Yes, which is the way you need to sword fight because it is... Yeah, we see Ahsoka being extremely effective Mm -hmm. during both of these episodes. The moment when she and Chuchi sneak into the conference room, Sipkine's conference room, Mm -hmm. they're hiding under the table. I love hiding under the conference room table. I love that the Trade Federation ship, of course it has conference room tables. I know, I know. So they can do their nefarious dealing. And then when they, you know, sit there nefariously like, oh yes, our bad guy plan. And Chuchi is like, (gasps) and Ahsoka like 
force flings them into a wall and then climbs up the wall. And then when they're about to look behind the wall. She hovers Chuchi up into the corner of the ceiling. Yes. Ahsoka is basically holding on by her two heels. She's wedged into the corner of the ceiling and she force lifts Chuchi up with her. Yes. That is extremely powerful use of the force. It is. I love the stealthiness of it. She also successfully mind tricks Mm -hmm. the guard in the detention center so that they can go and find Cheekwe. I wanted to actually talk about those guards because they have these conquistador helmets. Oh. And I think that that's like the, uh, you know, if you imagine the two plates of metal with a pointy top and they cover your ears really well, look up a conquistador helmet. Okay. And you'll see these guys' helmets. And I think that that's a really interesting thing for the colonialism of the Trade Federation. Ooh. What I also love is that in Sphere of Influence, uh, Lot Dodd references like the Treaty of 1667 or mm-hmm. whatever that establishes the Trade Federation's neutrality. Yeah. First of all, that doesn't sound like a real Star Wars year, but I'm like <laughs> willing to give it a pass. But also, apparently it shows that there's a really long history of the Trade Federation. Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense that they have these kind of antiquated helmets and weapons and conference rooms. and Yeah. Yeah, I like all of the the fiddly bits in these arcs. And I find that the episodes with Ahsoka in them, the the Ahsoka-centric episodes, rather, have more nuance. Yeah, Assassin definitely felt like an Ahsoka episode. I would argue that Sphere of Influence was actually a Pantoran episode. Oh, definitely. Ahsoka really doesn't have a ton of speaking lines in Sphere of Influence. She's there, again, as the muscle as the force applicator Mm -hmm. and basically the person who smooths everything over and makes it possible. Yeah. She's like the grease. (laughs) Because Chuchi uh, bluffs her way through just about everything. And she does so well. She does so well. Like the final scene when she's blackmailing Sib Kane. Uh, Actually the ambassador. Sib Kane is the one who gets turfed away okay well she pretty much strong arms everybody extremely effectively she's like you claim to be neutral but the chairman's kidnapped daughter is on your ship and i don't think that's gonna look very good to the senate yes and then she's like i think i could be persuaded to argue your case maybe if this unfortunate blockade just happened to end yes it is so effective so economical Mm mm-hmm I don't know how much time has elapsed since Trespass, but this Chuchi has leveled up. She has. And that is, I think, a consequence of in Trespass. She's like, I could use some help. And Obi-Wan's like, this is this is your jam. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to deal with the things of your people. If it's a combat situation, the Jedi will help. If it's like between sovereign people, the Jedi will help. But this is, you've declared it an internal matter. So you need to make peace. Yeah, we talked about this at length in our in our recap of Trespass. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan forces Chuchi to grow into her power. And now we're seeing that she has only been building on that work. And it's because she's working with good friends. You know, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and Padme. Yeah, absolutely. They have her back. They congratulate her when she's done a job well done. And I stand by my original assessment in Trespass. If Obi-Wan hadn't kind of backed Chuchi into a corner and forced her to level up, I think we would be seeing a very different senator in this episode. But he did. He gave her the right lesson at the right time. Mm -hmm. She succeeded. And I think we're, I mean, I hope we're only going to see her become more and more powerful as a diplomat. Yeah. Yeah. So these ones have some good stuff in them. I loved seeing Aura Singh alive mm-hmm. again. I loved seeing Ahsoka specifically on the combat scenes because as Baron Papadoida showed, if you are close to someone and they have a gun and you have a knife, you have the upper hand. Mm. Uh, if you're within 10 feet of someone, a knife is a much more deadly tool than a blaster, oh. but a sword is a little bit too much. And then we see that Ahsoka's like, nope, a sword is plenty when it can block blaster bolts. Totally. And we saw that when we last saw Orosing, we see it this time. We see her get really up close and personal. And then the gunfight in the OK Corral on Moss Eisley was just so cool. The combat scenes in this are very precise. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot. Yeah, clinical, targeted, just perfect. Yeah, we talked in a previous episode of the podcast about which 
what the seasons kind of mean. And so season two was Rise of the Bounty Hunter. Oh, Cad Bane, Aura Singh, mm-hmm. Embo, Sugi. And season three is Secrets Revealed. Oh. And I think we're getting some of that build up now. Now it's going to be more in the later arcs because we're about to get into some real meat. But these ones have the buildup of Ahsoka as her own independent character, having some really interesting side things go on, as well as just this lovely rhythm with the Pantorans. That's why I think it's so perfect that Ahsoka and Padme get to have that conversation where Ahsoka straight up says, I am not confident when I'm acting alone. And Padme's like, I feel you. I felt that when I was queen. And here's how I managed to grow into my power. Yeah. So I think that's a beautiful book ending. And I hope we're going to, you know, continue to see that reverberate. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see some crazy stuff. Yes. (laughs) Is it that time? Time for Baywatch, 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 Baywatch. All right, who is your number one bay? Oh, man. You have to pick just one. Oh, no, I have three. I'll bet. There are strong cases to be made for both Ahsoka and Padme. Mm-hmm. But I would be lying if I said it wasn't Chuchi because it's always Chuchi. There are episodes that don't even have Chuchi in them where I'm like, I wish Chuchi could be my bae because I'm thinking about her. Well, you didn't even have <laughs> Chuchi as bae in Trespass. You're right. I picked Obi-Wan. Yeah. And here we're seeing that I was right. <laughs> we're seeing that I was right. I was right to pick Obi-Wan because he set into motion God-tier Chuchi. So Chuchi wasn't quite bae-worthy then, but she is now. I had heart eyes for her then. Mm-hmm. I had heart eyes and tears in the first Mandalore arc when we see the camera pan to her. And now I'm like, it's all coming up, Chuchi. <laughs> She's my bay times a million. She is great. I love when <laughs> I love when you do this where you go up and you're like, ah oh, yes, we like when Tara Sanube does the mind trick uh when they're Going into those apartments. It's oh, like, yeah. We, we know where we're going. And it's not a lie. I love when someone says something and it's like, okay, that's not a lie. You're not lying. Oh, Chuchi uses extremely yes. precise diplomatic language yes. when she's talking to Sib Kine. She's like, so what if we were yeah. going to join the Confederacy of Independent mm-hmm. Systems and throw our lot in with the separatists? Would that change anything? Yeah. Okay, well, we'll have to discuss those terms a little later. And so another thing we find with Senator Chuchi is that even for a Pantoran, she is of slight stature. Yeah. She's tiny. Yeah. Uh, Chi Amanwe and Che Ekwe are like pretty curvaceous and yeah. pretty tall. Ion's pretty tall. Baron Papanoid is pretty stout. So she is, in all actuality, a tiny person. And so the fact that she never has to like draw a blaster or anything, she just like makes her way calmly and has the words to say. I love that. Mm-hmm. My little headcanon, you know how AOC, Alexandria mm-hmm. Ocasio-Cortez, has the squad mm-hmm. of her like young female liberal politicians in DC. Mm-hmm. My headcanon is that Padme and Chuchi are part of their own little Senate squad and yeah. they're doing cool stuff. We will actually see that quite soon. Oh, yes. Yeah. Incredible. In, in uh, Senate Murders. So, oh. Yeah. Which is a few episodes away. Mm-hmm. Who's your bay? Oh, so, you know, as we were going through the episode, because this is how much preparation I do, I'm like, well, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Chuchi or Ahsoka? And you know who it turned out to be? Baron Papanoida. No way. I, I, You're a George Lucas stan. I, well, yeah. I mean, he created this whole universe, <laughs> but also... He, I love the patience. I love waiting for the right moment. Baron mm. Papanoia does that. I love how he has the highest kill count. That's and mm, a cool easily. Hat. Yeah, I mean, by all the rubrics by which we judge bays, he gets a high kill count, kicks a lot of butt, cool hat, cool moves voice, slow to move fast, moves slow to move fast, moves at the perfect time, and like his plea to Jabba is—it's a little slimy, it's a little insidious, but it's like. 
Yes, that is, in fact, the correct words to say, no matter how you say them. There's no getting around it. Oh, it's masterful. And then the way that he, like a master player sitting there, moving his knight into a position where it's like, well, you either lose your king or lose your queen. Uh, he's just like, oh, so by the way, we're both killing Greedo now, right? And Greedo's like, no, wait! It's like, yeah, we're <laughs> killing you. So uh, Greedo does, in fact, live for a while longer, but... The Star Wars website describes Greedo as a luckless thug for his entire life. And I just think that is great. Oh, man. Baron Papanoida is a phenomenal choice. For some reason, he wasn't on my radar. I think I'm just very prone to like, it's Mm -hmm. the Chuchi Ahsoka Padme show. Yeah. But Papanoida is a perfect choice. Yeah, yeah. Audible mention to Ahsoka because she is the star of all of these. She is the star. She does great. I mean, she could easily be our bae pretty much every episode she's yeah. in. But yeah, it's the Chuchi Papanoida show for me. <laughs> Pantorans today. Oh, uh, Pantorans today, Pantorans tomorrow, Pantorans yesterday. <laughs> So next up, we're watching Arc Troopers, which should have uh, chronologically appeared between these two, but... Yeah, season three has a lot of funky chronology going on, so we've had to carefully pick which episode is happening when. So we are next watching season three, episode two... We're going back in time, Mm -hmm. Arc Troopers. Yeah, in fact, we saw a little bit of that as a out-of-order thing when Chuchi is like, so are you sure this mind control thing's going to work? And Asuka's like, well, I've never done it before, but I'm sure it'll work when, in fact, she had tried it in the uh, second Mandalore. Maybe she meant to say, this is the first time it's ever worked for me. (laughs) Which, you know, I've tried it a lot of times. I've never succeeded, but I've tried it a lot of times. That is, that is uh, you know, Ahsoka being economical with the truth. Exactly. So. Exactly. And she does it twice. So practice makes perfect. There you go. Find yourself in Nimodian and just be like, we're, we're fine. You can let us pass. I am indeed using you for my Jedi homework. Thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing homework right now. I'm averting a civil war and a defecting planet. So. You know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, to be a Jedi and have your homework go crazy like that. My homework... Only involved late nights at the library, you know, just later and later nights. Oh, to be a Padawan. For real. As always, you can follow us on social media at Growing Up Skywalker, and you can send us questions at GrowingUpSkywalker at gmail.com. And if you want more Skywalker, please feel free to become one of our patrons. You can look up Growing Up Skywalker on Patreon. Where you can receive the latest from the Outer Rim. The latest and greatest for the most discerning of Outer Rim spice smugglers. Spice run. Spice run. Make sure to leave us a review with your podcast app of choice. And send us to the father figure in your life who is surprisingly competent with a blaster. Oh, yeah. Send it to Daddy Papanoida. Or to your local senator. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Do that and and tell them to uphold Roe versus Wade. Uh, We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.